Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here with you this morning. Have you ever been to the amusement park? Maybe it's uh, uh, Adventureland, Disney World, Disneyland. Maybe, maybe it's a local carnival that comes through town. And inevitably, there's always one of those spinning rides. Uh, in my world, we just call it a tilt-a-whirl, right? You get a couple people in there, and, and usually there's some kind of a, a contraption in the middle, and, and, and you get people in there, and, and they begin to turn on this thing, and that thing kind of works on itself. It just, it just begins to go faster and faster, and it, like a crazy circle, a crazy cycle, just around and around, and, and, and the more you pull on it, the faster the thing goes. Now, I don't know how you are with circular rides like that, things that go round and round and round, but, but, but if I'm going to do that, I need to make sure that's the last ride that I do. Because if I go on that first, then I'm going to feel that the rest of the day. I'm going to be feeling it on every ride. I'm going to be feeling it the rest of the day. It's just going to follow me. And I just wonder sometimes if in marriage, we're not on one of those tilt-a-whirls. Like we're both in there and we're both grabbing at that wheel and we're spinning around furiously and we're on a crazy cycle of just of constant going around and around and around. And when, we, and when we try and get off, all that we feel is just that we're back on it again. I just wonder sometimes if we're not on what Emerson Egerichs in his, in his book, Love and Respect, I wonder if, if we're not all at some level on a tilt-a-whirl called the crazy cycle. And when we're on the crazy cycle, really it is about starvation, you see, the crazy cycle on this tilt-a-whirl, we both have our hands on that wheel, and what we're doing is we're withholding what we think they most need or what they most desire in order to try and get what we think we need and what we most desire. But when we withhold what we think they most need and what they most desire, guess what their response is? They withhold what we, they think we need and we most desire. And so round and round and round we go. And here goes the tilt-a-whirl. And we're all being starved in our marriage. And I wonder if you have been on that crazy cycle where you both have your hands on the wheel. You see, withholding is an intentional act. Withholding is saying, I know what you think that you need, I know what it is that you desire from me, but in order for you to give me what I want, I'm going to withhold from you what I think you need. And here we go. We're on the crazy cycle, and we're going around, and we're starving our marriages. Hey, if you want to kill your marriage... Get on the crazy cycle. If you want to kill your marriage, then get on that tilt-a-whirl of marital starvation and keep withholding from your spouse. If you want to kill your marriage, starve it to death. 
But if you don't, then engage the question that I'm asking this morning. And that question is this, how do we get off the crazy cycle? How do we get off the tilt world of marital starvation? How do we get out of this, this cycle of withholding what my spouse needs in order to try and get what I want? How do I do that? There's this guy by the name of Paul, and he's writing this letter to a church. Maybe it's not a church unlike this one, and he's talking about these household codes. Uh, household codes uh, were just another way of saying, hey, here's how you should live in a household. And, and in, the, in the days when Paul was writing, these household codes were fairly well known. They were, uh, they were actually uh, national and political identities. The Greco-Roman world recognized that there was something about the necessity of the family, and so they would create household codes. Now, now here's the thing with household codes in the ancient world. If there was a household code in the ancient world, including the relationship of husbands and wives, then it was a, a very much a hierarchical structure. If you were lucky enough to be the husband, then you were the ruler of your castle. You were the ruler of that domain. In fact, it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just that you were the ruler. It was that you had more value, you had more dignity, you had more worth than anybody else in your house. Your wife, your children, your slaves, they were all below you. Not just below you in, in structure, uh, but they were below you. They had less worth. And they were worth less. Now, by contrast, when Paul talks about a household structure, there is a structure. But everybody has value. Everybody is on an equal plane when it comes to value and worth and dignity. And he's trying to reshape how this household code was done. He's trying to say, it's not a matter of you being worth more and them being worth less. No, we all have a responsibility in the household. We just need to own our responsibility. And he tries to frame all of this by saying, hey, you need to live like Christians. In the first half of the letter that he writes to the Ephesian church, he is he is really concerned about talking to all the people in the church, and he's trying to get them to understand who they are in Christ. And he's trying to allow who they are in Christ to show up in how it is that they're going to do family. And there's a fundamental shift that Paul is asking for. He's trying to say, I don't want you to look at your family members with the kind of value that the culture says you have for them. I want you to look at your family. I want you to look at your spouse. I want you to look at these intimate relationships that you have. And I want you to begin to read that through the lens of recognizing that they are part of Jesus. They're part of the body of Christ. You now don't just treat your spouse like somebody else does. You treat her like a sister in Christ. You don't just look at your husband like he's just another guy. Uh, no, you treat him like he's a brother in Christ. You don't look at your children and you don't just say, well, they're my children. Get out of here. No, you, you treat them like they are people who are identified with Jesus. 
That's why in this whole section, he's going to say, hey, you need to live like Jesus. If you want to get off on the tilt-a-whirl of marital starvation, if you want to get off of that crazy cycle, then you need to know that there's some truths that you're going to have to listen to this morning. There's a truth about living like a Christian that you're going to have to be responsible for and you're going to have to hear. And that truth is going to lead to two different kinds of truths, one's for, one's for husbands and one's for wives. And husbands and wives, you need to listen. Because if you're in that crazy cycle where we're, you're withholding what your spouse most needs, expecting to get what you most need in return, uh, then this is a truth that you need to listen to. If you don't want a starved marriage, if you want to get off the crazy cycle, if you want to step off the tilt-a-whirl of marital starvation, then there's some truths that you need to listen to. Join me, would you, in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to begin in Ephesians chapter 4. It's after Galatians and before Philippians. Galatians, after Galatians, before Philippians. Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to remove yourself from the, the crazy cycle, if you want to say, I'm done withholding, then you have to live like a Christian. You have to live like someone who, who is a follower of Jesus. That's really where it all begins. If you want to step off and remove yourself from a cycle of a crazy relationship that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, then you need to know how to follow Jesus. Look at verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He says, live, live this way. Uh, don't live this way, live this way. And, and if you were to follow, if we had more time, and if I could just uh, walk down through every single verb that he gives after that, he's going to demonstrate what it means to live like a Christian. He says, hey, this is your identity in Jesus, now live that way. But that's not the only time he does it. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. He says it again. It's that same verb. He says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk this way. Live this way. Follow God's example. 
Hey, if you want to get off of this marital starvation cycle, uh, then you have to begin to live like a Christian. And he does the same thing he did back in verse 17. If we had time, we would just begin to, to follow all the ways in which Paul says to the church, now, live like a Christian. But that's not the only time. I, I promise you, go down now and look at verse 8. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. And he says this same, same verb, live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. He says it time and again, I want you to live this way. And then he defines it, and he says, I want you to live this way. And then he defines it, and he says, I want you to live this way. If you want to get off a crazy cycle, then you just have to begin to live like a Christian. This, this word of living is really just about this characterization of the kind of life that follows the Christian. It's the road sign that simply says, Christians live this way. They live along this path, and they don't live anywhere else. If you want to get off of the, the, the crazy cycle, then you have to learn how to live like a Christian. Now, how is it that I'm supposed to do that? Some of you are going, uh, great, yeah, I, I kind of figured that. This is church. You want me to live like a Christian. Congratulations. I knew that already. How do I do that? Well, but Paul begins to give us a little hint as to, as to how it is that we actually begin to live like Christians. You see, we get help that nobody else does. Paul's going to point uh, to the Holy Spirit. He said, the, the Spirit of God is going to live fully in the Christian. Now, go with me, would you? Look at verse 18. He uses a play on words here. See if you pick it up. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's a play on words. Don't be filled with alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. And just like he's done with all the verbs of living, don't live this way, but live this way, he defines now in five different ways what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Hey, don't live this way and live this way. And by the way, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. If you're a Christian, living the way you ought to live, uh, then you have the Holy Spirit living fully and finally as a part of your life. And to have the Holy Spirit living in you means that you are allowing the Holy Spirit, as mysterious as that might be, to try and guide and lead every thought, every decision, every habit. And you're living like a Christian. And in the first, he gives five things, and the first three are really matters of worship. Notice what he says. Look at verse 19. He says, speaking to one another with psalms. He says, um, singing and making music from the heart to the Lord, always giving thanks. Those are three acts of worship. He says, if you're filled with the Spirit, then the response of your life in living for Jesus is that you're going to come and you're going to sing and you're going to make music. It's that time in the car uh, when you're just like by yourself and nobody else cares and you're just like singing and it can be totally off pitch and it doesn't even matter because you're like, God, I love you. You're awesome. I'm, I want to give you thanks and glory. Tell me I'm not the only one that does that, right? You're just like, totally don't care. 
When you're, you're spirit-filled, Paul says, hey, one of the things that you're going to do is this. Now, now, he goes on. He talks about something else. He says, um, you're going to give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're going to praise God and give gratitude that is due him. God, I, I thank you so much for the, the life that I have and the wife that I have and the home that I live in and the job that I get to do and the, and the people that you help me to have in my life. But the fifth thing, it's a little obscure. And it's one that we have to pay attention to today as we talk about getting off of the marital starvation cycle, off the tilt-a-whirl. And it's this one. It's a little obscure when you read it in your Bibles, most likely. In verse 21, he says, submitting, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All of that is tied to verse 18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, there is something, a part of you, that is in relationship to God, submitting to other people because you fear Jesus. That my first submission... Because I am filled with the Spirit of God, because I desire to live for Him, as I'm going to allow submission to be a part of my relationship with Him, and because it is my relationship with other people, and just like He did before, just like Paul organized and said, okay, I'm going to tell you to live, and I'm going to tell you what that looks like, he does it here. He tells us what submission to one another out of fear for God looks like. And it has to do with our relationship with our spouse, with our kids. But today we're focusing in on marriage. When you are a spirit-filled, living-like-Christ person, Submission will be a part of your life because of your relationship with Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, here we are. You want to get off the tilt-a-whirl. How do we do that? Well, guys, I'm going to talk to you first. Now, gals, don't check out because you're going to want to hear this. Husbands, Paul has a whole lot to say to you. In fact, he's going to have more to say to you than he is to your bride. This great big section for you guys, husbands, uh, there's a whole lot that we have to try and live up to. But if you want to get off of the the crazy cycle, if you don't want to starve your marriage to death, uh, then you're going to need to listen to the truth that you need to sacrifice and you need to care, that you need to love your bride. Guys, Paul gives us 115 words here. He gives our brides 41. He's trying to send a very clear message about our responsibility as spirit-filled followers of Jesus, about the kind of responsibility we have with 
our wife. And, and responsibility number one is that you will love her. Look with me, would you? Notice where Paul tells us that we have to love our wives. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Love her. Now, maybe knowing who we are, he doesn't just say, hey, one time, verse 25, love your wives. Uh, Skip down, would you? Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, if that were not enough, he comes down again. He says in verse 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. Love your wives. Husbands, your wife needs to know that you love her. And she interprets that love most likely uh, through areas of attention She needs your attention, and she needs your affection. She needs to know that you pursue her, that you cherish her, that you desire her. She wants to be the princess. She wants you to be her knight in shining armor. Now, some of you ladies might be going, Okay, so maybe some of you are thinking more along the lines of, I want a guy on a Harley and I want to be the biker chick on the back. But either way, men, husbands, you need to show, you need to demonstrate that you love your wife. She needs your attention and your affection. She needs to know that she is safe and secure with you. Now, husbands, you can say to your wife, I love you, honey, I love you. And you can do that every time you you get off the phone, and and you can do that every time that you, you part ways, and you can probably even give her a little kiss and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if you do not demonstrate that you actually do love her, If you do not show that you love her by the way that you live with her, uh, then what you're doing is saying, I don't really love you. She's going to interpret your actions far louder than the I love you that you part with when you get off the phone. Paul gives us some instructions, husbands. He gives us some ways in which that we can begin to love our wife. That we can begin to show her that we actually love her. That she's cherished by us. And it begins with our willingness to sacrifice for her. Did you catch that in the opening verse? In verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's talking about the sacrifice that Jesus made for the church. Guys, do I need to remind you that Jesus gave up everything for her? 
He gave of his life. He was willing to die. He was willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. I will strip myself of any self-desire so that she can be radiant and ready. I have this great purpose. I want what's the best for her. Uh, Guys, are you willing to sacrifice in your marriage in order to say, I want off the starvation cycle? I'll give up so that she can have. Paul says, husbands, if you're spirit-filled, if you're living like a Christian, then you ought to be sacrificing in places for your wife. Husbands, think about this. How do you respond to your wife? How do you respond to her when she says, oh, oh, work again, huh? Going to work? I see that laptop out. It's the fourth time this week. Mm -hmm. If your response to her is always, well, my work is important. Yeah, I'm going to work. What you are telling her is, my work captivates me more than you do. My work really matters to me more than attention and affection with you. And maybe, husbands, you need to pick strategic times for work and strategic times so that you can show your bride that you love her. That you will spend time, attention, and affection to be with her. That you will sacrifice for her. Husbands, um, how do you respond when it's been a really long day? And maybe in the back of your mind, husbands, you have envisioned a romantic night with your bride. You're thinking, man, I know it's been a long day, but I can't wait to get home. It's going to be a great night. Husbands, let's be real. We think that sometimes. Now, your bride has also had a really long day. The three or four or however many children that she has bore for you, they've been hanging on her ever since school got out, and she is tired. It's time for bed. You crawl in. You begin to rub her back. And she looks over at you. She says, I'm really tired. No way. Husbands, do you respond by pouting? Do you roll over and you're like, fine. See if I talk to you all day tomorrow. Do you get angry? Fine. Can't believe this. Or will you find times where you will willingly sacrifice your desire for physical intimacy because you want to demonstrate as a spirit-filled follower of Christ that you love your wife. Paul says, hey, if that's true of you, if you're a spirit-filled follower and you want to live like a Christian, then you need to sacrifice for your bride. And she needs to know it because she desires your attention and your affection. Now, if sacrifice isn't enough, Paul gives us another way. He doesn't leave us hanging, uh, and, and, he, and, he, and he brings it closer to home. He says in verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and they cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. Now, there's this crazy theological thing that Paul's doing in this passage. I wish I could say I understand all of it. But he goes back to Genesis and he says, you know what? When you marry, you're not two, but you're one. And he's trying to appeal to husbands. He's trying to say, hey, do you hate yourself? I mean, he kind of is appealing uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and your closest neighbor, bar none, is your bride. And if you love your body, men, I know how men look in the mirror because I am one. Sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah. I can still see, like, oh, yeah, if I, uh, yeah, there it is. There's a six-pack. Guys, you, you love your bodies. You're going to take care of it. What Paul is saying is when you love your bride, when you care for her, when you show her attention and affection, you're loving yourself. But if you don't, you hate yourself. Guys, you got to care for her. You gotta care for her in a really specific, special way. Husbands, do you actually expect your wife, your bride, the woman that you married, the woman that you stood up and said, I do, I will too? Do you expect her to give up her need and her desire to be cherished and loved? Do you expect that one day she's just gonna wake up and go, Well, I guess uh, I don't I don't need to be loved anymore? No! And if you do expect that, don't. That's who God made her to be. She needs you to love her. She wants your time. She wants your attention. She wants your affection. And if you try and convince yourself in your head that she doesn't need that kind of care and that kind of love anymore, you are fooling yourself. She will find other ways of getting that kind of attention and affection that she needs. She's going to turn to social media and Facebook somehow. She's going to turn to friends and family. And maybe even that very friendly coworker that's willing to sit and listen to her. Guys, if you want to get off the tilt world, if you want to stop withholding, then you have to, as a spirit-filled follower of Christ, begin to live like a Christian and say, I'm going to sacrifice for her, and I'm going to care for her. And, and I want you to notice the results of that. There's great results that happen, men, when we are willing to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Look at, look at verse uh, 26. Christ loved the church. Now, notice what, what happens. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Husbands, when you're willing to sacrifice and care for your bride, showing attention and affection, when you're willing to say, I, I will do without so that you can have, what you are saying is, what I most desire is for you to be the best possible version of yourself that you can become. And I will sacrifice and I will care and I will do whatever is in my power so that you are the best possible you you can be. 
Because that's what Jesus does for his church. You have to be willing, husbands, to be a servant to your wife. Does your bride radiate because she's in relationship with you? Because the church, Christ's bride, radiates because we are in relationship with him. And he says to husbands, husbands, when you do your responsibility right, she radiates because of you. Wives, do you radiate? Are you the best possible version of you because of your husband? Husbands, if you don't know how to answer that question, then you need to sit down and have a real heart-to-heart with your bride and be open to what she says. Husbands, your wife is not your servant. She is not your servant, but you must treat her like a sister in Christ. That's what Paul saying. Treat her most like Jesus treated his church. Husbands, you do that as a spirit-filled follower of Christ, and you'll step off of withholding. You'll step off of the crazy stackle. You'll step off of the tilt-a-whirl of marital starvation. And you'll notice that something begins to happen. Now, wives, I know that you're sitting there, and you're probably scared about what I'm going to say to you. You're wondering, what, what's going what's to say? What's the truth that I need to hear in my, my relationship with my husband? And I'm going to say it plainly, I think, the way Paul does. The truth is, if, if you're a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, if you desire to live like a Christian, then there's a level of submission to your husband. Would you listen to verse 22 and 23 with me? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now wives, I... I don't sit in your shoes. I've tried all week long and it hasn't done me much good. And I'm sure that as I read those verses, you're scared. There's some bit of fear that comes up in you. You think, oh no, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, just put in this little box. And where I am sure that there are some husbands who have tried to use these verses in that way to keep you under their thumb... I don't think that's how submission is defined. So let me define it. I I may even just read it off my notes just to make sure I don't get it wrong. It's not a matter of male domination or dictatorship. It's the construction, the whole construction of this word in this passage tells us that submission isn't a command but a request. Uh, Submission here is not begrudged acceptance or forced surrender. It's voluntary. Wives, I think what Paul is saying here 
as he uses the construction of this word for submission, is as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, as someone who desires to live for Christ, that you would voluntarily come under the submission of your husband, that you would allow him to lead and guide. Now, wives, hear this. I don't think that this is about any sort of worth or dignity or a lack of identity. I think this is in some cosmic way, God saying to all of us, we have a responsibility as spirit-filled followers of Jesus and wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, do you know that your husband desperately needs respect? He desperately wants your adoration. He wants to know that he is your hero. He wants to know that you actually value him and value him and what he brings to this relationship. And one of the ways that you do that is by submitting to his leadership. He wants to know that he's valued, and you can give that to him when you submit to him. So let's talk about that. If your husband begins to stop talking to you, if he removes himself from you, if he disengages from you, can I make the suggestion that he's probably starving for you to respect him and show him in some way that you really do value him? That he is actually the hero that you married. If you notice that he wants to go to, to work more than he wants to spend time with you, he's probably telling you something. And if every time he does that and you respond critically with your words, those are cutting. And I know your man is probably tough on the exterior and he's probably big and macho and, and, and you know, like a guy. Can I tell you a truth about men? We have a tough exterior, but we're jello on the inside. Some of us are jello on the outside too, but we're not as tough as we think we, think we are. And wives, we need you to demonstrate value through respect and submission to our leadership. And if we do that right, it will work. Not so that we're demeaning you or, or questioning your worth or dignity or identity. Wives, you know what you will withhold. Oftentimes when wives don't feel loved, they withhold two things. One is physical intimacy and the other's respect. Wives, can I ask you a question? Do you think that by withholding physical intimacy from your husband that he's just going to wake up one day and say, oh, well, well, I don't desire physical intimacy anymore? Probably not. 
Do you think by withholding physical intimacy from your husband that you're going to step off the crazy cycle suddenly? That by withholding what he most desires or desires a lot, that you're going to be able to step off of the crazy cycle and then he's going to suddenly begin to show you attention and affection that you desire? Probably not. So perhaps there are moments where you will say to your husband, I want to demonstrate that I I love you and respect you, that you are valued to me. And I'm not going to withhold physical intimacy and respect from you. And wives, I don't want you to hear, I don't want your husbands to hear that you can be used. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, wives, you have an opportunity to demonstrate spirit-filled following of Christ by submitting to your husband and not withholding what he needs or most desires. I'm sure there are lots of other things that I could talk about in regards to your submission. But can I suggest one more thing as we wrap things up? I've gone way too long. Way too long. Some of you are sitting there thinking, yes, I know. (laughs) Don't leave this place and think that this somehow is a mechanical structure that you now will be able to move your mate and change them. Uh, There's an old phrase, it goes something like this. Men get married hoping she'll never change. Women get married hoping that he will. Have you heard that? This thing that Paul is doing here in the submitting ourselves because we are, want to live as followers of Jesus, this thing that he's doing, he's not doing it so that we can do it and turn the key so that my spouse will now be changed. Our submission, our relationship is first and foremost to Jesus. You live this way. You sacrifice for your wife. You submit to your husband, not so that they will manipulatively be changed by you. That's God's job. But so that you will demonstrate your Christianity. You will demonstrate your spirit-filledness in sacrificing for her and submitting to him. If you do it any other way, it's called manipulation, and God wants no part of it. Husbands, sacrifice for your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much. I thank you for people who are willing to come and let their pastor go over. Lord, I pray that uh, the husbands and the wives and the marriages in this room are stepping off of the crazy cycle. Help us to get off the tilt of world. Help us stop withholding. Help us not starve anymore, but be greatly nourished. And Lord, help us to do that by demonstrating that we're spirit-filled followers of you. We love you. We want to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen.